The Crown Countdown U Roundtable is now in session on the TSN Radio Network. And joining us on the KCU Roundtable is the hardest working man in the CFL draft analytics business, Marshall Ferguson from TSN Radio in Hamilton. That's TSN 1150. Marsh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it as always. I think I'm just the hardest working guy in the CFL draft in terms of analytics because I'm not the smartest. I have no idea how to do any math or make any graphs or anything, so I have to work the hardest. Well, I liked how the final graph that you put together was on yourself from back in the day. (laughs) And then the one circle graph that you had with the various data points turned out to look like one of those goldfish crackers. Oh yeah, it, it was uh, it was terrifying. Some of the shapes that came out of my spider graphs and in the radar charts and things that I was doing in terms of uh, percentiles and where guys were ranking athletically coming out of the combines. There was one I think John Samoa from Laval. Uh, his ended up looking like an arrow, just like an arrowhead that you would find, you know, buried somewhere in northern Ontario uh, that was pointing directly, basically towards Ottawa. So I had some responses when I tweeted that one out, and it said. Judging on his athletic performance in this chart, I'm going to suggest he's a red-black in the next couple of weeks. I, I know you were big on Mason Woods as the number one overall guy, but uh, at one point at least. But has Faith Akakate uh, out of UCLA kind of taken that position going into this draft in your mind? I'm not convinced of that. I'm uh, The more I look at it, the more I look at the actual combine film I, I know that you know last time I chatted with you guys here on the round table I was pretty down on Mason Woods and I think that a lot of that had to do with recency bias where I I was kind of shocked that he just couldn't bend like we talked about last time Jim that he wasn't really athletic enough and that scares you anytime you're talking about not just the possibility of a guy playing tackle but the possibility of a a starter in the near future where you just don't see that type of athleticism out of him at the offensive line position not to run a fast 40 not to run a quick shuttle or anything but just to be able to move fluidly and look natural and feel under control, I think that worried me a lot. But the more I look at it, and I've gone back several times over at the one-on-one film, that was his first time playing a yard off of the ball in, in an incredibly long amount of time. That was the, you know, the first time that he'd been dealing with guys that he really didn't have any scouting report on whatsoever. That You just throw the pads on, you go to work, and we all know that drill, the one-on-ones, definitely favors the defensive player. So I'm kind of on the way back up with Mason Woods as it stands right now. I'm starting to fall in love with the idea of him to BC because they have two picks in the first round, of course, after the Vernon Adams Jr. deal to Montreal. And so I I like what he is as a player. He's got a lot of work to do, but the more I look at all of these guys that are draft eligible this year, there's nobody who comes in with a clean slate that you say that's a perfect first-round pick. And I think Faith Akakati falls under that as well. Like He's undersized. He slots into what you would think is good for the Canadian Football League but do you want to draft a guy because you just think, well, he fits us? Well, don't you want the best? Don't you want to go after the guy that you think could really be like a big game changer? Because if Faith Akakati comes into the league, I think he's going to be really good. I think he's going to be solid, he's going to be sound, and he can play for you for probably five to ten years bouncing around from team to team depending on how free agency goes. But I don't know if he's necessarily screaming first overall pick to me, and we're only a couple of days out, so that's probably the same thing that Kyle Walters is going through. Uh, it, basically, everybody's done all of their mock drafts and all of the research, and it's about to put uh, time to put the hay in the barn, as it were. Um, when Winnipeg uses the Drew Willie selection, first overall, will they keep it? And if they do, who do they take? I talked to an agent this morning who said that uh, Winnipeg is being very secretive, not just to that agent, but also to the entire general manager sphere, where they just, they're not talking a whole lot. They're not really offering up much. And I think. You know, as you're talking about putting the hay in the barn, uh, Hoagie, then 
I think it's going to be down to the last day. I think it's going to be down to the last hour before any decisions are really made. I got a feeling just because Toronto and Montreal want in to this whole first-round draft and part of the process that they're probably going to try to dive in. The problem is, what do they have for tangible assets that they can move to be able to trade into that one or two or even three spot? Because if BC wants to give up their three spot, what's BC going to ask for? It's not an older player, and it's not a salary they have to pick up. It's going to have to be a younger player. Well, is Brian Jones able to be traded moving forward? Would you really move a guy after only one year of development, even if it is a new coaching staff coming in? Would you really move him? I mean, after he was down at the mini camp in Florida, you wonder whether or not they were taking a look at him to try to figure out if they can reach for something better or package a bunch of different picks and be able to move their way up. But they don't have a ton of young Canadian depth. They don't have a lot of even older players that you would want. I mean, they've spent their money on Lemon. Now they've spent their money on Cleon Lang. So Toronto's in a tough spot. Montreal is similar in that sense. And so I think Winnipeg could easily trade out of this thing. And I think naturally everybody's going to go, okay, well, who doesn't have a first-round pick? Well, maybe it's Toronto. Uh But does Toronto have the pieces to be able to put them together and say, here, Winnipeg, we would like your first? And Winnipeg goes, yep, that does it for us. You know, you give us three third-round picks over the next three years, and you give us a fourth-rounder, and you trade us a player. And, I mean, it's going to take a whole bunch of stuff, I think, to move out of that spot. And I'm not sure Winnipeg's interested in doing that, so they might just take best player available. And who do you think that is? What's, uh, from what you've been able to ascertain, even though they're playing it close to the vest right now, uh, if you had to put a dollar down on a, on a player going to Winnipeg, who would it be? They've done a ton of research from what I've heard on Mason Woods. Uh, I, they, apparently they did the old call the old girlfriend at the high school and call the cafeteria lady and call the strength and conditioning trainer in, in Port Coquitlam and do all of those things and reach out and try to really learn something about him that they didn't know before. Um, with that said, I think Mason Woods, just based on regional geography and how unrestricted free agency goes in the CFL, is more likely to go to the BC Lions, especially because they have those two first-round picks. And if he falls past that, I think Brock Sunderland probably loves him. I think Edmonton's sitting at five there, and they could want to go after a Mason Woods. So for me, when I look at who should be first overall, if Jeff Gray had not been fallen in love with by the Green Bay Packers, if they had not been at his pro day in Winnipeg, if they had not invited him for a workout, and if they had not snatched him up as a priority undrafted free agent, I think we're seriously talking about just doing the old hometown trick where we're saying Jeff Gray is a great offensive lineman. Winnipeg wants to solidify their offensive line for Matt Nichols and whoever they put in that backfield moving forward. He's the guy. Go get him, and then he'll be here as soon as possible. But I mean, Green Bay clearly, guys, wanted Jeff Gray. They went mm-hmm. after him on a couple of different opportunities because they only have so many visits they can offer to guys, and they offered one to Jeff Gray. So that tells you right there how much they probably like him. I don't know what the signing bonus was like in terms of getting that priority undrafted free agent deal, but you would think it would be enough to send a message to him. So I don't think it's going to be Mason Woods. I don't think it's going to be Jeff Gray. And then I'm staring at the board, and Eli Anku's there. And I just don't know what his intentions are moving forward. I don't know if he's going to play in the CFL or if he's going to stick with Houston or whatnot. Faith Akakati has not signed a deal right now, even a rookie minicamp deal or whatever, with the NFL team. So if it's Faith Akakati that you take it one because he's a tangible player and you can go get a Jeff Gray at number six with Winnipeg with their second first-round selection, I think that's probably the answer. We're talking with Marshall Ferguson here on the round table. And, uh, Marshall, we're big U-sports guys, of course on a uh, show that talks about uh, college football from uh, coast to coast. And, you know, we like the skill positions, but is it possible that we could go through this entire first round and not see a receiver go? 
I actually am going to keep, and this will make Kogi happy, I know, I'm going to keep both of the receivers that are at the top end in my first round, guys, uh, because I think, yeah, there we go, I think that, that they are <laughs> they're real good players, and I think that they're going to be able to affect your organization positively. Here's, here's my feeling on what's going to happen with the receivers, guys, is when I look at the big picture of who they are, where they fit, and what they'll be able to accomplish in the next couple of years, when I look at Danny Vandervoort, I ask myself, am I being too romantic by putting him with Hamilton? I've been asking myself that while I wander around dog parks in southwestern Ontario. A lot of us did. Three, a lot of months. us did. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I wonder that because I know when everybody sees it, they go, really? You played with the guy. Are you just liking him because you played with him? That's the exact opposite of what I'm doing. You know, I, I was in my fourth year when Vandervoort showed up in 2013, and he blew me away, and I would basically throw the ball as far as I could, which maybe was 35 yards. And then he would just go up and get it for me and score touchdowns, which made me look good, which I appreciated. However, I am not repaying that favor to him by saying, oh, Danny's great. He's shown in his testing. He's shown in his strong hands, in his route running. He did everything that you wanted from him at the National Combine. He's got some of the best receiver film in the entire CFL draft this season. So I just don't know how he cannot get drafted in the first round. Now, when you start looking at fit, I mentioned Mason Woods to the BC Lions. Uh, Could that be at three or could that be with their second first round selection? That's the question that I have because I think that other spot's probably going to be a receiver at this point. And when I talk about Danny Vandervoort, it would be very poetic to have a guy like Danny Vandervoort getting picked up by the BC Lions early in the draft because Stefan Patasic, his former offensive coordinator, was drafted to the BC Lions when he began his CFL career. And who drafted him to the BC Lions was Eric Tillman, who's now sitting at four with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. So Tillman is basically having a receiver that's similar to Stefan Patasic, although different body styles and playing style and all the rest, a guy that's similar in mentality and approach to the game who was coached by Stefan Patasic, he has him sitting there. And I'm wondering, do any of the teams here that maybe want Vandervoort or Nate Bahar, do they try to trade up to Saskatchewan? Does Saskatchewan trade back if there's not a true fit? If Eli Anku maybe doesn't want to be a CFLer, or maybe if he wants to attach himself to an NFL team at, at all costs, if Saskatchewan doesn't feel like that lineman is there that they really want, if they don't feel passionately about a Darius Bledek or they don't want to steal a Mason Woods, do they trade down for a bunch of picks or for an odd player or two to add immediate national ratio depth, and then they give Hamilton the opportunity to leapfrog BC, or they give a team that's coming out of the blue, I don't know, maybe Winnipeg wants to move up from six and go get themselves uh, you know, a great offensive or a great defensive lineman in Faith Akakati and maybe a starting national receiver in Danny Vandervoort quickly. There's a lot of different variables that play into that, but I think both of those guys deserve to go in the first round. Um, what's the biggest thing that has changed in your eyes? Is there one player that in sober second thought and doing all of the stuff has moved up or moved down considerably? To me, uh, and you'll know this guy closely from your work with the OUA there, Mike, is uh, Kwaku Boateng. Yeah. Um, the more that I look at him, and trust me, I have more respect for Kwaku than anybody else because I remember when he was 40 pounds lighter in 2013 when, I mean, I couldn't get away from the guy. I had nightmares about him for a month playing at McMaster. <laughs> but sure. um, when, I, when I look at him now, is he going to be a, a true national defensive end flying around the edge and getting after the quarterback? I, I don't think so right away. He's not going to be an interior guy. I mean, if you're looking at an interior rusher, Justin Bond from Fordham, despite the fact he didn't really do any tests when he was at the Combine, he could be that guy for you. Or you could be looking at somebody like Fabian Foote out of McMaster, who's more of an interior defensive tackle type of player. But I, he's not going to be a tackle. I'm talking about Kwaku Boateng. He's not going to be a tackle. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be a pure rush end. And he's not going to drop back into linebacker or be an outside pass coverage type of guy because he just doesn't really have those movement skills. 
So to me, he might fall under the category of exceptional high-end special, special youth sports player who just doesn't have a natural CFL fit. And in the, the sober second thought that you're talking about, the more that I look at Kwaku and his tape, the more I realize, man, is he ever good. I just have no clue how he'll be used. How did things change around the priority undrafted free agents after the NFL draft uh, for most of those scouting uh, outfits out there with the Canadian Football League in your mind? Yeah, I think Jeff Gray is is the biggest uh, kind of conundrum here in terms of guys who did those priority undrafted free agent deals just because I think the Packers did love him so much. Typically when you see a player sign those those undrafted free agent deals, they slide back to the third, fourth, fifth round, whatever it is. I think Gray, he's still worthy of the pick for Winnipeg. I mean, somebody else might reach for him, but I do think there's a bit of hesitation there just because the Packers seem to feel passionately about him. Uh, outside of that, Antonio Claire. I mean, he fits the NFL style. We've been talking about that for months, how he just feels like he could be an NFL guy. But he did just get picked up by a team in Tampa Bay uh, that has O.J. Howard and that has about five other tight ends in that room. And so I'm not sure that he's going to stick with Tampa. With that said, he was on people's radars because of the Shrine Bowl. And so if he does not land himself an NFL deal with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I guarantee the second he gets cut, I mean, he's going to languish somewhere else in the NFL for a little while longer because teams will take shots at him two or three deep. And so I think that that will slide him backwards. With that said, I, I'm still tempted to put him in the second round because I think he's worth the risk because everybody keeps saying he's you know he's too athletic, he's too this, he's too that, he doesn't fit the CFL offense. Well, what if he went to Ottawa and he played behind Patrick Lavoie, another Laval tight end, tweener, big body like that, and learned for a year or two in two years. You know, I don't want to go Bruno Caboclo on you guys, but maybe he is two years from two years in terms of being a consistent guy that can produce for you in an offense in the CFL. I don't have any problem with that. How cool would it be, guys? Throwback football here, because I love watching all the classic CFL games. Um, how cool would it be to have a two-tight end system with two Laval tight ends in Ottawa? How much fun would that be? Like, you would have Trevor Harris under center with two tight ends going play action with heavy looks and then, you know, tossing the ball out to the flats, getting a high completion percentage. To me, like, that, that's a dream come true. I think Ottawa probably likes him. I think Calgary probably likes him. Uh, but I think he will slide a little bit, not too much, though, because of the deal that he signed. My first year of doing the Argo play-by-play was 2000. John Heward was the head coach and ran a double tight end as a base set. And uh, no. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll, I'll just say no. Uh, finally, we've only got a few seconds here. Uh, for those who listen uh, to your home station, as it were, TSN 1150 in Hamilton, if not Vandervoort for the Ticats, Best offensive lineman available, or is there some other player that might be a good fit? I think, honestly, Mike, if they don't go with Vandervoort or Bahar, depending on whatever flavor they prefer sure. at the receiver position, yeah. um, they could look at the defensive line because I think they're they're stacked when it comes to the defensive backfield. They hit a home run on a 35th pick with Mike Daly. They've got Craig Butler back. They've got Courtney Steven bouncing out to field corner. I think they'll find probably maybe even in a trade in the draft somebody to fill that spot behind Courtney Steven as a field corner. Uh, and then in terms of the offensive line, we know what Brandon Revenberg is going to be. You've got that national depth with Landon Rice. Um, with that said, uh, behind Mike Filer and Ryan Bombin, Matthew Gerard did retire. And so that opens up the question this offseason of do they go get a developmental offensive lineman in the draft? That's, that's a very much a possibility. But if they're doing that, I don't think it requires a pick in the first two or three rounds. I think that's probably a guy down the line. Maybe it's an Evan Johnson from you know, you know Saskatchewan, or maybe you're looking at somebody who's even further down, you know, off the board that they just they really like because you never really know until we get to the actual draft night. 
Uh, and if they if they decide that they don't want Vandervoort and the offensive lineman that they they want is probably going to be available down the line, I could see them trading backwards out of that spot and trying to get themselves into a spot where they have more picks down the line to be able to kind of package them together and go get players they want via trade. Marshall, briefly, for people that want to see some of the analytics that you've done, uh, where can they go and see them online? Yeah, so I'm just on Twitter, at TSN underscore Marsh. Uh, i, I got to admit with you guys, too, I, I very much wish that I could press a reset button, go back to December, and keep all of the learnings that I've had in terms of uh, the process of the draft being my first year, really covering it in depth, and, and go back and accomplish a whole bunch of things. So next year will be even more fun, because i got a plan for everything I'm going to do. But uh, the stuff nice. that I was able to accomplish this year uh, is going to be just at TSN underscore Marsh. And then as cheesy as it is, it seems like everybody's got their own website these days because we're all dumb enough to pay for a domain. So uh, I've got <laughs> MarshallFerguson.com, which is where you can find any of my work anytime throughout the CFL season and year-round. Marshall, thanks very much for this. Awesome. Appreciate it, guys. Have a great draft.